Wow. My kids talked this morning when we woke up about how excited they were to move up in their classes. So we'll see if we have some fun moving up in the Word today. But uh, Bob Logan is a, was a church planter and now a leadership coach. And he tells the story of a man who loved to fish. Uh, I don't know if you got to spend any time fishing this summer or going off in boats, but this guy loved his boat, loved to fish, and he would go and go into big lakes, even though his boat was pretty small, and fish and fish and fish. And one day, as he was fishing, he discovered that there was a little water at the bottom of the boat. So being a prepared fisherman, he had a little sponge, and so he took the sponge and got the water out of the boat and kept fishing. As he continued, though, he saw a little more water come in, and he realized uh, there might be a leak. So he used that sponge again, and Um, went back to fishing, and quickly the water came back up. And so he, being a good fisherman, not only had the sponge, but also had the bailing bucket, which is a little different than a regular bucket. But he was able to scrape the water up and scoop it back out and go back to fishing. No sooner had he done that, that more water came in, and so he had to bail again. And now the water's coming in at a rather rapid rate, and so he's starting to break a sweat and not able to fish all that much because he's spending so much time bailing the water out rather than fishing. And so he goes back and forth like this and back and forth like this. Meanwhile, the water's coming up, and he realizes that he might have to stop fishing altogether so that he can just bail water. And so as he's sweating and bailing and rowing and sweating and bailing, and he knows he can't get back to shore and... Uh, in time for the boat not to sink, and he can't really fish, and so he's at this big crossroads. What do I do? Do I just continue to bail the water and sweat and work, or do I jump in the water, swim into the boat, and see if I can find the leak? Maybe patch it and go back to fishing. Now, one involves a lot more risk but it offers a long-term solution. It offers this chance for this fresh start and for him to live in a rhythm that would make sense for his life. Fall is a great time for a fresh start. Fall brings this new rhythm to life when the the 97-degree weather that we're going to have tomorrow usually doesn't show up and the weather breaks and we think, oh, I can just wear some clothes without immediately sweating. Or these children will start school and now I can um, have just a little time to myself. Or I can get back into a routine and a schedule and now I can go to class and do a job and do my studies and feel like I can sustain that pace. Sometimes, though, fall offers this new rhythm that really sounds a lot like bailing the water out and going and going and going and going. And we wonder if this is really going to work. And, and, you know, I added stuff last time and, and my life got really busy and really hectic, so I'm a little hesitant now. I don't know if I want to add anything because the last time I tried, it didn't work. And so we resist trying new things. We worry We wonder if we're going to get entangled in more stuff and it's not the right stuff or it's not the best stuff, then maybe we shouldn't do it. And yet, if we're like most people, we want our lives to matter. We want our jobs to make more than just money. We want to make a difference in the world, a real difference in the world, and we want to see God work not only in our lives, but in others around us too. And so, we're at a crossroads. And so for the next three weeks, 
we're going to look at what's essential in this idea of life and faith. What do we have to do? What are we called to do? What does it mean to jump in? Not to add more stuff. Not to just bail and sweat and think that's life. But to jump under the boat and to see where there's a hole in our life or our soul that God might want to patch. It's risky work. But it's one that offers this chance for a true fresh start. So we're going to look at the three episodes in Luke 10. One of them... um, Well, we'll look at them for the next three weeks, so I won't talk about it now. But asking the questions, what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? And what does it mean to be a community of Christ followers? And what does it mean to be a community of Christ followers here, today, in this city, and in this area called Restoration? And so, I'm excited about that. It gives us a good framework for going forward not only in our lives, but as a church and as a people, seeing God work, wondering how he is going to work, and trusting him in the midst of that. So today when we look at uh, Luke 10, Luke 10, 1, if you have a Bible, you'll want to turn there, we see three actions that are involved in this first essential of our life and faith. Luke 10 starts out with, after this, the Lord appointed. So we have to go back and see what was that after. So if we go to about Luke 9.51, we see that Jesus, there's this major turn in in Luke's story of Jesus. He's been preparing, he's been doing some early ministry, and now in Luke 9.51, there's this huge change where it says, Jesus set out for Jerusalem. He's been doing ministry for at least two years, and now he turns, and now there's a journey. He's not going straight there. It's not a straight line. It's almost like Jesus has um, attention deficit disorder or something, and he's kind of going, meandering around through, and it seems like he doesn't really know why he's not going to Jerusalem. No, he actually has a plan, and so this wandering path from where he's at to Jerusalem, where he will give his life, Luke 9 to about 19 tells that story. And so he comes along the way. And along the way, people are like, ooh, I want to follow Jesus. And so in Luke 9, 57, it says, as they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Now, if you've ever wondered if Jesus is a little out there or if he seems like this spiritual guru that's always two or three steps ahead of his disciples, this story is just going to reinforce that. It's not always the case, but in this story, he says some weird things that we don't quite understand and we don't get because we're not in first century Jerusalem and we're not Jewish. So he's really trying to say, hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to consider the cost of what it means to jump in and follow me. I want you to consider the cost. And so this person says, hey, I'm going to follow you wherever. And Jesus essentially says, I'm not even sure where I'm going to sleep tonight. I don't know if you understand what it means to depend on God that much. Now, God seems to be providing for me. 
But this is the life where you have to trust me not only with your life, but every little daily concern, like where you're going to sleep. We don't hear the man's response. But Jesus says to another man, follow me. But he says, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. We don't quite get that, but this man is wanting to perform one of the most holy, sacred, and important duties of a Jewish son to his father. To refuse to bury your father is, is considered one of the worst things that, that's in society that they can do. So he's asking for a good request, an important request, and one would even say a holy request. And yet, Jesus essentially says, let those who are spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Proclaiming the kingdom of God, declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God is the most important thing you can do right now. We go, what? Again, that doesn't seem to make sense. Doesn't Jesus call us to honor our father and mother? Doesn't he call us to, to obey the things that, that we should obey? And, and we get a little bit confused. But you have to remember, Jesus is on this journey. He knows this is the last time I'm coming through this area. This is kind of the last chance for you, if you will. And so it's really important that I tell you that this is what you need to do. That's important, but not the best. This is the thing you've got to do. Third guy says, still another, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to my family. Wouldn't it be important to say goodbye to my family? And Jesus says, you know what? No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the service of the kingdom of God. Again, doesn't really make sense to us, maybe, but imagine mowing the lawn. I don't know if you're neurotic about mowing the lawn. I'm a little bit neurotic about mowing the lawn. I believe in a green lawn, not a short lawn that has dead grass. So we fight about this in my house. But the lines, my dad instilled in me this immense ability for the line. They must be straight. If you're going to have a good lawn, they must be straight lines. And so I have to really pay attention, and yet you've got to look farther beyond. If you're just looking, you know, the three feet in front, it's not going to happen. You've got to have a little overlap from the wheels. This is what my dad taught me. I don't know if it's still right, but he is pretty much intense on this, so this is how I've done it. And I haven't taught my kids because they're not ready. They can't stay focused. And so you've got to have that intensity on mowing the lawn. But if you want to look back and look at your work, now you're screwed because the next little bit is crooked. That's what he's saying. He's saying the kingdom of God requires our focus forward. Not looking back at what we might have missed, what we might have failed at, where we might have succeeded. The kingdom of God takes our our full attention, concentrating forward on where God is at and on where he's moving. Now think about where you're at right now. I don't know if you're in a position where you're already feeling like you're bailing water in your life. Or if you're just resigning to give up and let the boat sink. Not probably the best one. Or if you're really considering, can I jump? Can I jump in? Can I go under? He's saying, consider the cost. But I'll be there. Don't jump out of the boat blindfolded. Jump out looking forward 
looking for where that place in is, is in your life where God is saying, I want you to come with me. It's going to take all of you. It's going to be worth it. And we'll see why in a couple minutes. But it's going to take all of you. Because I think some of us hesitate. I have yet to meet a person who's not intrigued with Jesus. Now, I have a few friends who are people who would probably ignore Jesus. That doesn't necessarily mean they're not intrigued by them, by him. But most people, even outside the church, definitely inside the church, they're fascinated by Jesus. They want to study Jesus. They want to understand his teachings. They want to use him as a model for their life. They might even write a song about him or wear a t-shirt with his saying or put one of the fish stickers on the back of the car. But, if you think about that, it's like, I like Jesus the guru. Or maybe I like Jesus the teacher. Or maybe like in these episodes where Jesus says some really weird things um, and then he sets off for Jerusalem, it's Jesus his superhero. But not Jesus the Lord. Where, where really, if we think about it, maybe it's, I really want to control Jesus. I don't want to trust Jesus. And what he's saying is, I want you to consider the cost of jumping in. Not to control me, but to follow me. To trust me with all of your life. It's hard. That's what he asks us. This is how one person said it. Hannah Whitehall Smith, she writes, The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. It's not hard, you find, to trust the management of the universe and all of outward creation to the Lord. But can your situation be so much more complex and difficult than all of creation that you need to be anxious or troubled about his management of you? She says, stand in the power and trustworthiness of God. Which I would say, jump into the power and the trustworthiness of God. And see how quickly all of the difficulties and stressors will vanish when you trust him enough to jump into his will and his care. Jesus says, do you trust me enough to jump in, to jump under the boat, to let me jump under the boat, to let me look at the hole in your life, the thing that is that you're trying to control or that you're trying to bail water out of, because I want to fix that. Maybe you would call this um, putting conditions on Jesus. We want to jump in, but that means we've got to give up control. And so some of, us, some of us put conditions on him. That's what these three people did. I'll follow you, Lord, but. I'll follow you, Lord, but. I'll follow you, Lord, but. And he essentially says to each of them, in some kind of guruish, Jewish ways, no, trust. Stop controlling. Trust. And then he goes right into what that looks like. See, here's the good news. He says, jump in. 
Jump, not only consider the cost of jumping in, but then jump in that's called to participate and don't feel like you have to have a certain requirement to do so. Some people think, I don't know, I might not know enough, I can't do this, or I'm not the right kind of person, or you know, I still might have problems in my life. And Jesus says in Luke 10, 1, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others, or 70 others, trying to say, these are not the 12 disciples. These are not the ones that have been following him for three years. These are not the ones that he's staying with all the time. These are the ones that are the non-professionals. These are the ones that haven't gone to seminary. They haven't studied the Torah as well as the others. But he appoints them and he sends them out two by two to every town to where he was going to go. Remember on his last trip through where he was going to go. And he says, hey, the harvest, the work is huge. We need more workers. So pray for more workers but I'm going to send you out. It's going to be hard. Think lambs among predators, but it's going to be okay because you can trust me. Trust me enough to not even take extra stuff on the journey. Trust me enough to keep the message simple. When you go to someone's house, you just say, God's peace be in this house. God's shalom. His, his prosperity. His absence of conflict. His Good news that the Savior is coming to restore everything that's broken, all the pieces of injustice. The Savior is coming, including the thing that keeps us from God, ourselves, our sin. The good news is that the Savior is fixing all that, that we will be restored with God, that we will have this relationship with God. His peace is coming. That's the simple message. Declare it. If they accept it, it's all good. Stay there. Help receive their generosity. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Declare and demonstrate the good news. And then he said, if a town refuses, then you go into the streets and say, I love this, the only thing we got from you is the dirt from your streets. And we're wiping it off as a warning, not a judgment, as a warning against you. Do you have any idea that God's kingdom is right in front of you and you're missing it? These towns, Jesus has been in these towns for months and months and even years. Capernaum was the town that he made his home base after he left Nazareth. He lived in Capernaum. This city, I mean, he, he kind of brings a huge warning against them. He said there are, there are wicked cities in the Bible, cities that ignored God. If they had the signs that you had, they would, have, they would have turned. They would have repented. They would have trusted in this Savior. You have had him in your midst and you're not trusting him. And so he says, woe or warning to you. But he says, even if, even if people reject you, remember, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. Even if they're not rejecting, even if they're rejecting me, they're rejecting the God who sent me. So, he says, anyone who wants to jump in can jump in. It's going to involve vulnerability. I want you to go two by two. You're going to have to do it together. It's going to involve prayer. I need you to depend on me. It's going to involve this trust, specifically of not bringing the things that we would want so that we could have a little more control. A little extra money, a little extra clothes, a little extra shoes. 
And it involves giving. We have to ask for help. He says, pass on this greeting. It involves grace. God's peace be here. It involves warning. Some of us don't like to give warnings. It doesn't involve judgment. Jesus had a little episode that we didn't look at right before this where they started through the towns and and some people were demonstrating Jesus' good news or God's good news and they weren't part of the 12. And some of them got really upset and said, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on those people and judge them? And he said, no, they're not against us. They're for us. So leave, leave the judgment to God. So it involves warning. But again, that's 2,000 years ago. What does that really mean for us? See, as I look at this 2,000 years later, I think the message is pretty similar. Outreach isn't optional. See, a lot of us see like going to church as our way of getting close to God. Maybe you have friends that You know, once I've gone to church, then I'm okay. And Jesus says, I don't just want you to consider the cost, but I want you to jump in and participate in the mission of God. And we started this church three years ago with this conviction that that true church is true church happens when we leave this building. That we're the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. That what happens. Monday to Saturday is far more important than what happens on Sunday. We launched this church with the conviction that outreach isn't optional. That we've got to be people who do good deeds to build goodwill, to be able to share good news. Not the kind of church that forces you to do something, but rather invites this opportunity where outreach really isn't optional. So maybe that makes you think, oh boy, here it comes. He's going to ask me to serve somewhere. You know, really, it's just this understanding of trust or control. It's really considering where in your life have you grown Where in your life have you changed the most? I think if we sat down across the table from each other, you would say, I've grown the most when I've jumped into something. I put my hands around it, and I had to talk about it, and I had to work in it, and I had to get stretched. But when you start to think about volunteering in a ministry or serving in the city or doing outreach, you start to go, no, that's kind of busy. My life is pretty full, or... I don't know enough of the Bible to teach Sunday school. That's what my mom used to say. Love mom. Um, or you're worried that it's going to be hard. Or I'm not good enough. Or that outreach means more than declaring and demonstrating the good news. But if we truly want to experience God's grace and his love and his full kingdom, then we have to jump in. We have to trust him enough to say, you're going to take care of that. And we need to help others see what that looks like.
We need to really, truly believe that outreach isn't optional. Now, certainly that may mean, and yes, it does, yes, we need help here. We need help serving here. But that's not the point. There are people in my neighborhood, there are people in our lives, there are people around your work that have a leaky boat that every week, whether it's on Monday or Friday or on hump day, you just see they're bailing the boat and they got sweat going down their face and they got concern going down their face. And, and you know the answer, but nobody likes to be told what to do. Maybe you are the gospel for that person. It's not optional. And that's a good thing. And we don't have to be professionals. He takes these 72 people and it sounds like, wait a second, this sounds like it might be hard, like it might involve opposition, like I can't bring any comfort. I may have had uh, one junior high leader in my past years of youth ministry experience that said, okay, I will volunteer, but I'm not going to do retreats. I'm not going to sleep overnight. Uh, I don't want to have to, I need, I need to be prepared. And God transformed this person to the point where not only were, was it retreats, but it was junior high girls becoming senior high girls calling and saying, I don't know what to do about this situation. I don't know about what to do with this. My, my friend is doing this, and I, I think it might be wrong. And this person got to jump into the kingdom of God, got to transform a life. It's hard work, but, but it's a privilege. These disciples come back and look at verse 17. They return with joy, and they say, Lord, even the demons submit to our names, and Jesus like, breaks into this picture of the supernatural realm of the kingdom of God that most of us don't see because we haven't jumped in and been involved in the mess of ministry. We haven't been involved in the mess of mission of God to see the real icky stuff, the real things that the underside of the boat, the holes, the leaky patches in their life, the, the spiritual warfare. And Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions, which is just a really Jewish way of saying evil in the world, to overcome the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, don't rejoice in the fact that you get to see this spiritual warfare happen. Don't rejoice in the fact that God is using you. Don't start to get arrogant that you you get to speak or work on behalf of his name. Rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Rejoice in the fact that God accepts you because he calls you because of what Jesus has done, that the Savior is working out the justice, that the Savior is saving our lives and restoring us with God, that no matter how we do, no matter what our performance is, no matter if we look back and we succeed or we failed, or now it's messed up because we look back, that God loves us. He calls us. And he has a mission for us. That's what Jesus says to rejoice in. Really, the whole episode is about joy. That God is pleased to use ordinary people that are willing to jump with Jesus. Ordinary people that that really don't have the wisdom, that really don't have their education, that really don't look like they fit the mold. God wants to use those people. We would be those people. Maybe in your life you are wondering 
I don't know how this works. I don't know how it fits in. Or I've never had that kind of joy. Jesus says the the people who don't jump in know nothing of this joy. He even prays this spiritual guru type prayer. Father, I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and you've revealed them to people like babes. And the underdog in us says, yes, that's what Jesus does. May we be the children. May we be the ones that just simply, um, like my kids this summer when we got to go to Detroit and there was this tree that had fallen and so it was about six or seven feet off the ground and they climbed out on this branch and they said, Dad, can I jump? I said, well, that's twice your height. You could twist an ankle. Will you catch me? Okay, I was a math teacher, sheer velocity, terminal, 47 pounds. Uh, I can bench about one. No, well, we won't talk about that. Um, okay. That's what it means to trust. Some people think faith is about holding on or what I can produce or how much I need to know. And so it's about bailing. And when I get tired, I wonder, is it just going to come up? And am I going to sink? But true faith, the essential word, the essential action, the essential of the whole story is trust. Trust enough to jump into the faithfulness, into the will and care of this God who has never broken up. of this God who says over and over again, I love you. I love you. I love you. To a people that said, I don't like that. I'm not going to do that. Or I'm going to do this. And he says, knock it off. He might even send them into exile. Certainly disciplines them. But overwhelming attribute of loving them enough into the kingdom. Some choose not to jump in, and they miss the joy, but they trust. This is how uh, one guy said it, William or W.H. Murray, I think his name was William, but he was a Scottish mountain climber and a writer, and he says it this way. He says, until one is committed, which I would say jump, until one jumps, there's a hesitancy. There's a chance to draw back, always in effectiveness. Concerning all acts of initiative and creation, he says, there is one elementary truth, the ignorance of which kills countless ideas and splendid plans, that the moment one definitely commits oneself, then providence moves too. We can, we can talk theory all we want. I was sitting uh, at... At camp this summer, we did a church retreat, and there's this thing called the blob. It's this giant bubble, looks like a big worm, and a very high platform. And the thought is, you jump off this, and you land on it, and then someone's at the other side and goes, and then they get launched in the air. Okay? Super fun. Especially if there's a pretty big weight difference, and you like thrills. So 
we're, we're talking about how this is going to work, and I'm explaining to these campers, which my children are a part of, um, and I'm saying, okay, so you just jump off that, you land there, and you, you know, get launched off. And the whole idea sounded fun until you actually had to jump off. And then you stand there, and I went and stood there, and I'm like, ooh, that's a little bit higher than it looks from down here explaining it. And sometimes that's exactly what the kingdom of God is like. Jesus saying, consider the cost of jumping in. He's saying, once you do though, jump at the call to jump in, to participate in it. Once you jump, you'll see that I have you, that I'll provide for you. Don't bring all this extra stuff, all these ways to depend. And you will land in the arms, in the will and care of God. So much so that you'll have joy, you'll run out to the end of the bomb and say, okay, I'm ready, I'm going to do it. And you'll experience it. Not just understand it. We had people that have had this happen to them. Uh, one of our leaders, John Steiner, he spent three years going, okay, God, we've got to have a truck, we've got to have a trailer, we've got to get all this stuff here. I don't know how it's going to happen, you know. And, and he learned a greater dependency on Jesus because he couldn't control it. Chad has been leading the men's study, and he's like, I haven't been to seminary. I'm not qualified to do this. I, I don't know, God. Uh, okay. And every week, God shows up. His words. He's learning because he's experiencing it. It's not theory. Ariel, can I talk about you? Ariel, college student, part-time job, full-time student, Want to work with junior hires? Okay. Want to work with kids ministry? Okay. Jumps in. Gets to see lives transformed. Young boys and girls get to see a college student. Not just coming to church. Not just saying, I believe God. But actually living it out. Trust me. You talk to any of these people. There is a joy that you could not imagine. Not easy, hard, but a joy. We come to communion asking, do you want to jump? Do you want to keep bailing or do you want to jump? What is God asking you to trust him with? Maybe it's joining a life group, even though being in vulnerable relationships and people are weird, it's scary. Maybe it's jumping in to serve. Maybe it's jumping into our, our outreach team. God will show up. Because way more than wanting a, a, a group of people, a church to, to succeed or fail, is wanting God to be lifted up in his glory as king of the universe. Not only in the world, but in your very life. So we come to communion with the anticipation that Jesus is going to fill the holes if we jump out and let him catch it. Hear the words that are spoken by the Apostle Paul. Jesus says, For I pass on to you what the Lord himself revealed to me. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said this, is my body, 
which is broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant. It is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. It is the new covenant on my blood. Drink of it, all of you. And when you do, remember me. For every time you drink this cup and eat this bread, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Let us pray together. God, we come before you. We thank you for your word. God, for stories of ordinary people, for stories of failure, success, and stories of truth in what a life with you is. God, we praise you, not only with our lips in song or prayer, but we praise you with our lives today. God, we thank you for the sacrifice that you made that restores our relationship with you. And God, we give you ourselves. Some of us might do that with hesitancy, God, but we want to give you our lives, all of our lives, our success and our failures, God. God, you are gracious and you are with us, but I pray that as we partake in communion today, that we would have an an extra sense of your Holy Spirit's presence here now. Show us the, the holes in the bottom of our soul. In the places that are dark and maybe underwater, the places that are submerged that we really might not want to talk about with anybody, but God, you know them. You know our whole lives. And you know that those things either keep us from you or they keep us from trusting you or they keep us from living fully with you. And I pray that, God, you would, you would move in those things. That you would heal. That you would show grace. That you would love us even if, if we fall short. But God, not only that, you'd give us the courage to turn from those things, to stop trusting in those things or stop doing those actions and instead follow you fully. Thank you for the opportunity, God, and the privilege of being in your kingdom. Not a privilege for us to be arrogant about or have power or judge someone else, God, but the privilege to be your kids. In Jesus' name, amen.